Before we start, we wanted to mention that the topic of journalism can be just as polarizing as the topic of sustainability. We encourage you to Google the spectrum of popular news sources to see where your favorite news source falls on the spectrum in terms of being more conservative or right-leaning versus more liberal or left-leaning. As we stated back in episode 8, we recommend always getting your news from more than one source, preferably sources that are on both sides of the spectrum. This allows for a greater amount of perspectives and points of view. It's not necessary to 100% agree with someone to understand where it is they're coming from, and it's unlikely that any one person leans 100% one way for every single topic. But it appears that this is oftentimes the way we operate. You're either 100% with us, or you're 100% against us, otherwise known as binary thinking. On that note, we sincerely hope that we have done our best to remain as neutral as possible, since this information is intended for everyone, because it affects everyone. However, in this episode, we will be discussing a particular news site. The reason we mention them specifically is that they do the best job at reporting on sustainability that we have found to date. And the effective communication on sustainability cannot be understated. Our hope is that, very soon, most news outlets will be covering the subject of sustainability to the full extent that is required. Sustainability equals survival, and although its proposed solutions can often fall on either side of the political spectrum, the topic of sustainability itself should not. Sustainability is a crisis that every major news outlet, be they left or right-leaning, should be reporting on, and we encourage our listeners to bring to our attention any news outlets that also report on the topic to the same degree as the one we will highlight in this episode. To fully convey the problem of communication and sustainability, we will mention an article that kind of initially appears to contradict a statistic we have mentioned on this show. That there will be more plastics in the ocean than fish in the next couple decades. We won't name the article here, because we're not here to fingerpoint and launch accusations. Articles like these are part of the focus of today's episode, but overall it claims that there is a dispute over the statistic of waste in the oceans. That it's possible that the estimates are off, and possibly one to three orders of magnitude greater than the reality. This means the statistic may be way off. Back in episode 2, we mentioned how scientists make best educated guesses, but this comes with it the problem that some think they are unsure about a topic. The oceans are massive, see our example of this in episode 28, and scientists sometimes have issues of funding, see episode 29. So the data can sometimes not be as accurate as we would need it to be. We mentioned that there is a wide range of data we find depending on the source they were pulled from. This is troubling and something we intend to correct. The article in question is not challenging the fact that there is indeed a problem in need of correcting, but the article gives the impression that the problem is not as bad as it is. And herein lies the heart of the communication issue. Back in episode 22, we said that we care about the same thing that unbiased science cares about. Is the conclusive result positive or negative, 
or do we need to do more research to determine if the conclusive result is positive or negative? We are on the front lines of this every day. The reason we talk about the problems of communication in sustainability is because we know it better than anyone. In the article we are referring to, one of two things is present. Either the journalist's data and sources are incorrect, or there is a need to do more research to fully assess the full scope and magnitude of the problem. Because when estimates such as these are made and someone mentions that the problem may be up to three orders of magnitude lower, that by extension means that the problem may also be up to three times higher. Educated guesses provide ranges that involve best and worst case scenario. Or, in fairness, it's also possible that the statistic often mentioned is the worst case scenario, so this would be the upper end of the range. The article concluded at the end that the verdict is complicated, thereby implying that science is just like relationships in rom-coms. Here are the challenges. The oceans are so massive that they would take hundreds of thousands of years to drain as stated in episode 28. And there is a lot of plastic that circulates in these oceans. Whether the estimate puts it at a large country or small country, it still means we have an entire country of hazardous waste circulating in our oceans. And yes, more accurate data is essential to determining which sustainability issues should be prioritized over others. Some of the statistics you hear are probably worst case scenarios. Others are not. We agree that there are some issues that probably require more research but articles challenging the legitimacy of data only add to the problem we have talked about at some length. And this article was published by a slightly left-leaning news source. As we have said, there are issues on both sides of the spectrum. There's no sense in picking on the particular news site or article, because sadly, it's one example of many. If there are competing statistics on anything we have mentioned, please send them to us since they could be useful in aggregating the data. We want solid info and data as much as anyone else does. And hopefully now you are starting to understand why we have written this podcast the way we did. We all need to correct the problem of communication together. In the 1990s, there was a global disruption that occurred in the field of journalism. The rise of the internet created two massive changes that altered journalism on a fundamental level. The first was the issue of time. Although 24-hour news was already common, the internet provided a platform for ideas to spread in ways the world had not anticipated. This now means that more staff are required to monitor various social media networks such as Twitter. The general public's expectations have transformed into the need for constant instantaneous information. There's also been a shift in how people consume their news. About two-thirds of American adults are getting at least some of their news on social media. We'll leave a source at the end of the episode, but as always, we encourage more research, which will demonstrate that this is a global issue. This is problematic since it's not exactly a secret that flooding the internet with incorrect information is achievable. Social media has one goal, to get their customers to spend as much time as possible on those platforms. 
And the way it achieves this is by targeting stories that a single user may find more interesting, even if these articles provide very little in reliable info. Everywhere you look, there are reports of scandals, fake news, and claims of nefarious actions seeking to further corrupt humanity's well of knowledge. The last huge issue plague in journalism has been saturation. The internet saturated the field of journalism where anyone can start their own version of the news. This saturation has forced legitimate news outlets to cut back on staff to remain profitable. Or worse, the news outlets resort to only reporting on clickbait type stories in order to ensure they maximize their readership. So some news outlets that used to lean slightly left or right have now ventured further out into the extremes of their respective sides. And journalism attempting to be as neutral as possible has been struggling since it's not as good at maintaining our very short attention spans. Wait, what was I talking about? We will leave some sources at the end of the episode, but really, you can just Google the fall of journalism and many different sources will come up. Well, at least it did in August of 2019. Hopefully, this gets corrected soon, for everyone's sake. In a nutshell, the world of journalism has increased heavily in competition and workload and decreased in compensation. This, in turn, has led to a significant portion of the communication problems occurring in sustainability. Although we love the internet, it came around at a very inconvenient time and created a mass disruption in the journalism sector that, for the most part, went unnoticed to the general public. Typically, during a global crisis, journalists on both sides of the spectrum would be at the forefront of the problem, sounding the warning bells to alert the crisis to the world. Not only has this not happened, but some of the media outlets don't even cover sustainability at all. Remember what the NASA scientist, Rama Namani, said back in episode 11? Once people realize there's a problem, they tend to fix it. We can fix it, but the important thing to ask is, do we globally even realize there's that big of a problem? This episode is the conclusion for the diagnosis part of the sustainability challenge of communication. This episode certainly can be listened to on its own, but for maximum effect, and to better explore this issue, please first listen to episodes 3, 7, 8, 18, 20, 22, 23, 27, and 29. The amount we have discussed this should really go to show how much emphasis we place on this particular sustainability problem. Perception and reality can often overlap one another in strange ways. And marketing experts work tirelessly to alter people's perceived value. This is the concept behind brand loyalty. Some customers are willing to pay more for a product simply because a company name is associated with it. They have a high perceived value for these companies and their products. And this has nothing to do with the reality of whether the products or companies are better than their competitors. De Beers utilized a massively successful marketing campaign in the 1940s to change public perception that diamonds were far more valuable and rare than they are. Diamonds are the most common type of precious gemstones. Prior to this marketing campaign, 
Engagement rings were associated with rubies and sapphires, not diamonds. This public perception is so ingrained into our culture that even though this isn't really a secret, it doesn't do a whole lot to sway people from buying diamonds. So what we're saying is, you're not off the hook if your sweetie likes diamonds. Effective communication, marketing in this case, has the ability to almost permanently alter perceptions in our world and can spin a perception into a reality, sometimes even becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. We sincerely hope that we successfully alter public perception on sustainability. Not without help, of course. We're going to need the help of our listeners, media outlets, governments, businesses, other organizations, Carlos, and our intro. Welcome to Viable Underdogs, where we try and change public perception on sustainability. My name is John, the communication expert who never shuts up, Carlos, is with me as well. This is episode 31. Today we're trying to change public perception on sustainability, and we are concluding the communications component of our global sustainability diagnosis. Here is the general public perception on sustainability. Sustainability is kind of important. We want it addressed, but we don't want too much to change while we address it. Here's the reality. Sustainability is a crisis, bordering on becoming a full-on global catastrophe. Immediate global change is necessary to prevent the collapse of modern civilization. And this podcast is partially created as a first attempt to shift public perception on sustainability to the reality of the situation. Responsible journalism is not an easy task. As we mentioned before in episode 8, and provided an example of the consequences of irresponsible journalism in episode 27. In an ideal world, responsible journalism would be 100% unbiased and neutral. But as stated back in episode 12, our world is rarely a source of ideals. This means that true neutrality is not realistic, but a journalist can do their best to try to be as close to it as possible. We have already discussed that sustainability is equal to survival. There's no shortage of separate issues, technical challenge, and a wide variety of different proposed solutions. And all of these could arguably fall on either side of certain spectrums. But sustainability itself is tantamount to preventing a worldwide catastrophe. It is survival. For this reason, Any responsible media or news outlet should be constantly covering the story of humanity's survival. To say that failing to cover the story is irresponsible is a massive understatement. We've been a bit hard on journalists, but the timing of the internet could not have been worse for the planet. If journalism wasn't disrupted in the 1990s, we would probably globally all understand just how bad the sustainability problem has become. Because this field of dedicated professionals would have made certain to sound the global warning bells. But this has not happened. In fact, very few news outlets are doing the reporting on the sustainability crisis, the coverage it requires. The majority of this problem can be sourced back to the disruption the internet created. No one orchestrated this. Fast change often creates unforeseen consequences. 
Thankfully, human ingenuity already provided the world with the required message. Otherwise, you would not be hearing this podcast right now. Human ingenuity also provided us here at Viable Underdogs with a large enough foundation of business concepts for us to create a global strategy. This is a truly humbling thought. Human ingenuity is such a powerful force that has solved 80% of the management problems of sustainability on its own. The business sector has many similar issues as the field of sustainability, such as the need to adapt to change and the need for effective communication. One of the main news sites that appear to be taking sustainability seriously is The Guardian. This has nothing to do with the non-sustainability stories they cover. We here at Viable Underdogs have zero desire to be associated with anything other than sustainability, since this is what we consult on. But when it comes to coverage and communication of the sustainability crisis, The Guardian is a top performer in that regard. It has recently changed its wording to match the escalation of the sustainability crisis. The Guardian doesn't call it climate change anymore. They call it what it is, a climate crisis. Because it is a crisis. Here's a message they are currently attaching to any of their sustainability stories, which they post almost daily. In our natural world, we refuse to turn away from the climate catastrophe and species extinction. For The Guardian, reporting on the environment is a priority. We give reporting on climate, nature, and pollution the prominence it deserves. Stories which often go unreported by others in the media. At this pivotal time for our species and our planet, we are determined to inform readers about threats, consequences, and solutions based on scientific facts, not prejudice or business interests. The Guardian also relies on readers' donations to keep them in operation. And although we realize that commending them and encouraging listeners to support them slightly violates our oath to neutrality, but the importance of effective communication on sustainability topics cannot be understated either. As we have said before, the world is rarely a source of 100% ideals. We can only hope that globally, Every media source follows leaders like The Guardian in communicating the message of sustainability to the general public. There are several reactions people can have when told that our unsustainability may result in a high global death toll, or even possibly, human extinction. Chances are you have seen these reactions, or even experienced them yourself. Some are in denial and refuse to believe it's happening, or that humans are the cause of it. Some are angry and start pointing fingers at those they believe to be more responsible. Some start to bargain, offering up solutions that are not always realistic. Some have accepted their fate and start to believe nothing can be done to prevent the death toll slash extinction. And many are afraid or depressed. These emotions can also overlap one another in many ways. If it sounds like we just listed off the five stages of grief, well, that's because we kind of did. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was a psychiatrist responsible for developing this model of the five stages of grief when she was working with patients who were terminally ill. 
This model does have some critics in the psychological field, particularly as the model was later adapted to be applied to those who were grieving following the loss of a loved one. And if you have ever lost a loved one, it's not uncommon to be provided with grief pamphlets that have the five stages listed on them. Many experts in the field do say that the model can be used, just not necessarily in the sequence Kubler-Ross suggested, kind of like how we said there was probably some overlap. Climate change deniers, for instance, are probably also afraid. I wouldn't say I was a denier, but up until a few years ago, I was kind of in denial of the severity of the issue. I admit that. I accept just as much responsibility as everyone else, and this is me currently doing my part to correct that. And here's the thing. Everyone experiences and responds to this type of very bleak news differently. We're willing to bet no one likes being told, the end is upon us. And being combative with people within the various stages they undergo as they accept this new reality only results in exactly what you're seeing right now. Inaction and overall global apathy. See episode 25. And that's why we say there's been enough finger pointing and argumentative debates. This is a crisis. Those that want to work on this, let's work on this. This needs to be corrected now. Although it would be ideal to have 100% everyone on board, we waste more time engaging deniers who are a minority of the population. And further debates and disputes only lead to further divide on the issue as people start to engage in binary thinking. Otherwise known as the expression, it's us versus them. You're either with us or against us. Referring back to episode 23, you have to decide for yourself if this style of thinking results in another false dichotomy. Do most of us truly not all believe in the severity of this problem, or is this simply the result of broken communication coupled with the fact that, as a species, we do not all accept the validity of new ideas at the same time? See episode 22 for examples of this even in the scientific field. It's our opinion that the reason for these mixed emotional reactions is partially due to the communication breakdown present. And the acceptance of new ideas can be plotted using the adoption curve. See episode 24. Adoption curves and the diffusion of innovation or diffusion process were proposed by Everett Rogers, a professor who specialized in communications, along with Joe Bolin and George Beale. The adoption curve can be applied to how new ideas and concepts are globally accepted. Not everyone accepts new ideas at the same time. The first ones to accept new ideas are the innovators and early adopters. If we combine the Kubler-Ross stages of grief with the Rogers adoption curve, we then get an idea of how people may respond to issues like the sustainability crisis and potentially global extinction. And we're not the first ones to suggest these connections. Specialists in change management do exactly this type of thing. It's important to remember that while it cannot predict everyone's behavior and reactions with 100% accuracy, it seeks to provide guidelines and explanations on reactions to change. As we mentioned, people process things in their own ways and confrontationally engaging someone who is in the middle of processing some of the worst news imaginable has the exact outcome of what we often get on the issue of sustainability. Binary thinking. Us versus them. 
instead of thinking that not everyone accepts these ideas on the same timeline. Some may even become overcome with panic or dread, and we want to reassure those listeners that we sincerely believe this problem can be solved, and this global catastrophe can be averted. Communication is a topic that can become quite frustrating on the subject of sustainability. Who, in their right mind, doesn't want to know all of the info and all of the data about something? And yet, as we have covered to some lengths on this show, we have been the victims of just about every possible breakdown in the effective communication of this crisis. When the Cold War was in full force and the possibility of global nuclear war was a distinct possibility, we created the symbolic Doomsday Clock to remind us how close we were to this possibility. The closer the clock was to midnight, the closer we were to this doomsday scenario occurring. Currently, the clock is still sitting at 2 minutes to midnight. And as terrific of a rock song that is, the reason the clock is still at this close to midnight is that nuclear threat still exists, and we have added the challenge of sustainability to it. This means that we attribute the threat of the sustainability crisis to be as dangerous as nuclear war. There is one distinct difference, however. Cool and level-headed thinking appears to be enough to prevent the use of nuclear weapons. It's not to say this eliminates the threat, nor does it mean that it cannot have dire consequences. But in this case, inaction basically stops the threat. Hopefully, cool and level-headed thinking prevails on the topic of sustainability as well. We here at Viable Underdogs want to take a minute to commend the world for not annihilating us with nuclear war during the Cold War. Good job, baby boomers, globally, all of you. With special thanks to the late Stanislav Petrov, the Russian hero who basically saved the world from nuclear war in 1983. Serious, if you've never heard of him, we highly recommend you either Google this guy's name or read the article at the end of the episode. There's also a movie called the man who saved the world. We sincerely hope we carry the torch for this generation's true challenge of sustainability. However, sustainability is the reverse of nuclear weapons. The greater the inaction, the greater the probability of global extinction grows as a possibility from year to year. To be clear, we're not saying that there is currently a 100% probability that global extinction will occur it's also not at zero. But what number are we happy with? 10%? 20%? 30%? 40%? What is the number that is large enough for us to realize how important this is and start to enact realistic change and solutions? Having said that, we now have to say something that will appear counterintuitive in this episode. Change cannot start until the communication problems are addressed. And we cannot stress this enough. The Earth is a big engine, and even small changes implemented into a global population of hundreds of nations and billions of people can have unforeseen consequences. The change will need to be strategic, methodical, and timely. If change starts to happen halfway through the communication of this message, then it could possibly be a really bad situation. And we will explain exactly why and how in the upcoming change management episode. But once again, we want to stress the importance of not enacting change too early on. 
While it may seem like the sooner we get started the better, this will probably not end up being the case. You see this in businesses where the reasons for proper change are not communicated well and the change fails. Our world is very intertwined and elaborate in its many systems. We need to default to the expertise of many fields when we start to implement realistic Type 1 global solutions. See Episode 28. Normally, we encourage discussion in different viewpoints, but this request is kind of non-negotiable. We will be explaining this because, of course, you deserve that when we say something is non-negotiable. We're pretty much following a business law in change. Just like we talked about scientific theories and laws in episode 18, this is a law in change management, as we will explore in more detail very soon. If, at the end of our pitch, you agree with our proposals, which of course is your decision to make, then you need to agree that we also know what we're talking about. Sustainability at its core is our field of expertise. The change itself will of course be open to discussion, and we will have the input on the collective expertise of many fields, but the change cannot start until the communication phase is complete. Everyone needs to hear this message. To complete the communication part of our global sustainability diagnosis, we will illustrate the importance of communication with an example pulled from the book, Crisis Communications, by Stephen Fink. This book stresses the importance of communication in a crisis. We won't dive into it too much here, but we highly recommend the read. The book opens with an example of one of the worst environmental disasters when the oil company, BP, was responsible for dumping 200 million gallons of oil into the Gulf of Mexico. That's around 760 million liters, or about 300 Olympic-sized swimming pools. This was pretty big news at the time, and globally, BP was rather vilified. And it wasn't only due to the lead-up to the accident. Global public perception was that BP was quite inept at handling the disaster itself. Which is ironic, given the statement by the US Coast Guard Admiral, who was put in charge of overseeing the crisis in the Gulf. Here is what Admiral Thad Allen had to say about BP's handling of the crisis. And again, this is not to comment one way or the other on the factors leading up to the incident, nor the issue itself. At the wellhead, I think they've done very well. What they are not good at is one-on-one -on -one transactions with individual citizens. And I think that's where the biggest gap in performance has been and where the most improvement needs to take place. In short, according to the government rep overseeing the crisis, BP was handling the technical side of the crisis, but there was a major communication breakdown. Had BP handled this side of the crisis better, the financial ramifications to the company could have been mitigated to some degree. And once again, we're only commenting on the communication of the crisis, not the events leading up and during the crisis itself. This further illustrates the importance of communication, and the following are some of the reasons we stress it so much. Communication is essential for the acquisition of reliable, accurate data and input to create a game plan to start implementing realistic change in sustainability. Communication is essential for communicating during the change itself to provide reassurances to the public 
and open up public forums to the discussion of ideas. Communication is essential to inspire greater global confidence that change is realistic and possible. This podcast is designed with three things in mind in terms of communicating sustainability. It seeks to communicate a single sustainability message to combat the saturation of incomplete, incorrect, and exaggerated stories. It seeks to address this saturation by recommending fewer, more reliable sources of information, such as the many links we leave at the end of our episodes. It seeks to reposition sustainability and change public perception to the reality that sustainability is a crisis. It seeks to slow down communication. We live in a world where news and info arguably travel too fast. Here's another quote by Stephen Fink regarding the speed of news stories to illustrate this point. While the fact-checking model remains in theory, the reality in practice is that many stories that haven't been completely vetted, or properly written, or edited are rushed into print. Solid, fact-checked information takes time to write, particularly if the author seeks to minimize their own biases. Speeches are the same. Chances are if you were asked to write a speech for your work or a friend's wedding, you would carefully and slowly write the speech, and you would likely practice it as well. This is a higher level of writing. These episodes are the same. We aim to post an episode once a week, and we intend to maintain this frequency for the most part. We gain nothing with quicker communication, other than the various problems we have outlined in many episodes. These episodes are challenging to write, since we are seeking to engage a global audience. And we understand that not everyone speaks English, and some may be turned off by our poor attempts at humor on this show. And we have some strategies in place to address these challenges too. As we've said, there is a strategic method to our unique brand of madness. Cheers. The psychology behind different reactions to a global crisis is something that we could easily do a whole episode on, and we will explore in slightly more detail in our change episode. The important thing to remember is to allow people to react to the news in their own ways, and not try to be overly confrontational with them. You can learn the basics of defense mechanisms in terms of psychology at psychologytoday.com. The article is called The Essential Guide to Defense Mechanism, written by Susan Krauss Whitburn on October 22nd, 2011. The book we mentioned, Crisis Communications, was written by Stephen Fink, published in 2013. More info about the Doomsday Clock can be found at WashingtonPost.com. The article is called, The Doomsday Clock is Stuck at Two Minutes to Midnight, The Symbolic Hour of the Apocalypse. Written by Lindsay Bever and Abby Olheiser on January 24th, 2019. And you can Google the Kubler-Ross change curve and several consulting agencies specializing in change management should pop up. We encourage you to do more research on the global usage of social media as a news source. You can start with an article at Reuters.com. That's R-E-U-T-E-R-S. The article is called Two-Thirds of American Adults Get News from Social Media by Angela Moon, published on September 8, 2017. See you, space cowboy!